on this computer. Right, we're live. Okay, behave. Don't swear. <laughs> Don't swear. Um, right, so this is Stories to Learn by. I'm Adam, uh, your host, I guess. And I'm with Lona Brannan. Lona, tell us about you. By the way, I know Lona. We worked together for a whole year, maybe more than that. No, nearly two years. Uh, and um, yeah, so Lona, you tell us who you are, what you do, uh, and we'll try not to laugh through it. Great. Thank you for that, Adam. Um, my name's Ilona Brannan. I am a woman who is in London. Um, I often say that I'm from London rather than like the UK, because I think you're like a different kind of kettle of fish if you're from London, uh, good and bad. Um, my particular passion and interest is in learning and development, specifically leadership development, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a bit. And I am a 90s music aficionado. And I don't use those words lightly, but I mean it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. That's a new one on me. Uh, what is this? Like Spice Girls and uh, uh, Take That. Uh, all, of, all of the 90s so not just the pop but all the 90s so you've got the indie scene you've got the r&b scene you've got the rap scene you've got the dance scene happy hardcore and all that dance music so what's the problem oh i don't know uh i, I yeah i don't know like we're the same age like you wouldn't have been more than 14 by the time the I'm 19s is finished for our age <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i don't know uh, anyway all right uh, yeah uh so the leadership uh thing we've talked about a lot before um it's bloody important isn't it like there's no two ways about it it is it is, it is. i think uh especially during you know this whole pandemic we've both experienced leadership in different facets and i think throughout my career i've experienced good leadership and I've experienced poor leadership and it can make or break an organization. And that's kind of why I'm going into delivering leadership development to more people um, in this new company I'm work, gonna work for. And it's just something that the, the more I sort of explore it, the more I realize how incredibly valuable it is. And I, my particular passion is women in leadership because um, yeah, there should be more of us, end of story. <laughs> But it's not just like make or break organizations, it makes or break people. Like yeah. you, a, a great manager can rise you up and it can also trodden you down, right? Like it's not yeah. leadership doesn't start at the CEO, it starts at the manager or it starts at the individual, really. Yeah, well, I mean, I know. you know, like the old like sayings from when you were a kid, like that your teacher or your mum and dad would be like, oh, be careful who you hang around with. It still applies even when we're grown-ups. So if you're with a manager who's toxic or maybe they're a workaholic or maybe they're, you know, almost like too invested in work and they don't have enough balance or, you know, whatever it is, that will rub off on you. And I think if everybody took a moment before they sort of subscribed or signed up for a company to think about the culture and the implications of working with whoever you're going to be working with, you might guess, you might, you know, check whether it's the right fit more um, thoroughly. And I mean, every single survey that ever exists about relationships at work says the most important relationship at work for anyone always is their direct manager. So that direct manager, as you say, can make or break you. And I've had managers who have destroyed me and managers who have helped me grow. And I really want it so that more people have good ones <laughs> and less crap ones. So you mentioned growing up in London, whereabouts? In it, I'm in North, I was in North London, even though I support a better football team than you. <laughs> you really don't, you know that, like by league position, you don't, but we're not going to go into that. I do if we're comparing it to the 90s. <laughs> yeah, if we're, if, we're, if we're back at 14 again, then yeah, yeah, you would do. <laughs> um yeah even though we had better looking players like i'd take david janola over i don't know oh, he was a handsome man he oh, was a good looking boy yeah because in the 90s they all were a bit because you had tony adams who looked like obviously he was down the pub every night so steve bald right i mean oof, 
I, no, I, he, no, I, I he looked he looked 55 at 21 like how, how, how do you do that it's like a magic trick if you could do it the other way around you'd be rich um yeah yeah anyway. uh, thank you for reminding me about david Chinner. he was he was a lovely very handsome man <laughs> he was worth it he totally uh, was <laughs> Uh, <laughs> um, and you, you've done I'm trying to think you were PwC you you obviously worked with me at Fuse uh, for a little while um, and where else have you been I worked at the foreign office for a bit really um, I didn't know that there we go see I'm learning you stuff you know me Adam you've <laughs> met you podcast that you know yeah. me yeah so I worked at the foreign office for a bit and I was part of the um, consular department so working with distressed British nationals overseas so working closely with the forced marriage unit and the um, for, uh, female genital mutilation team which wasn't great but they basically go and rescue British citizens who have had that happen to them and then I was also dealing with any of the um, emergency loans that get uh, given to um, people overseas if they're in dire need Mm. Uh, they do have to pay it back to the government so we're all aware so no one's like hey they got a free bride they don't they have to pay it back um the other thing was i was in the consular department and i was part of the emergency response team so when it was the volcanic ash cloud arab spring um the japanese tsunami i was part of the team to help coordinate the effort to make sure that we responded in a prompt and uh, meaningful way that was a mad couple of years because those things all happened really close to each other. Yeah. And I was quite young at the time and like social media was fairly new. Like it was maybe like five years old. So I'm there sort of going to the minister like, yo, we need to sort this out because it's all over social media. Like the volcanic ash cloud in particular, because everyone's tweeting instantly going, I can't get home. I'm like, I've been stranded somewhere. And, and um, they just weren't really getting it. It was one of the first instances where I was like, what's wrong with them? How are they not realizing that this is a thing? And it showed me the gap sometimes that exists, the cognitive dissonance between what you understand and know to be true and what someone else knows and understands to be true. Um, and I, like with the Arrow Spring, same sort of thing. I just remember sitting there with Excel, having to do loads of stuff with the data that almost like the ministers were like, how are you doing that? And I'm like, how do you not know how to do this? And it was just like pivot tables and stuff, but it was just to coordinate the efforts of like, where do we put who and, and like how long for um so yeah and i imagine in 20 years time there'll be people who join the workforce who will have so many digital skills i'll be like how do you do this no no how do you not know this so it's gonna come full circle eventually i'm just riding the wave kind of know some stuff kind of don't it's okay <laughs> yeah i'm finding that every day at the moment like there's yeah it feels um people pick stuff up so quickly like how do they do it like um yeah my older two uh both picked up one of them picked up photoshop for the first time the other day uh and um came back like back to me and was like here you go and there was this multi-layered digital piece of art and i'm like uh? and then i was like what how did you like uh and yeah it's pretty funny really um they just make it look sim so simple um but i remember the same conversation having the same conversation with my dad where the first pc i ever got was windows 3.1 it was a hp compact and a winch on the side. <laughs> it really did it had a winch on the side it might as well did um and um and yeah and i, re I remember that physically and looking at it and going like showing it to my dad and him going what like just i'm whizzing about the screen he's going you're going too quick and yeah and a few swear words thrown in uh because he was a builder um and still is uh and swears a lot anyway uh <laughs> um trying to think what where, where where am i going with this where am i going with this i can't think oh well. that's one of the jobs i've had before yeah no i was i was more I was thinking a, i was a teacher as well yeah yeah, I was more thinking about that. Like, that is, there seems to be a lot of teachers in L&D. Like, it seems it's to be... we all want to escape. <laughs> <laughs> it's not even... Like, honestly, I've been talking to a few mates who are still teaching in the pandemic, 
and they are worn out. I mean, teachers are worn out 90% of the time, 99% of the time. The only time they're not worn out is week four of the summer holidays when they've actually been able to rest and they're not quite having to think about going back to work yet. But, you know, the pressure that's been put on them to deliver co- like learning, digital learning, which has taken me years to know and understand how to do properly with no help, no guidance, no training, um, delivering to children of mixed abilities, mixed uh, backgrounds. And also there's also a huge spectrum because there's work that I'm doing with a, a charity called the Learning Foundation and Digital Access Rule to get laptops to kids. And we're advising the government on that strategy. So not every kid for the past year has had access to a laptop or to digital connectivity. So there's those um, parameters. But just take the basic principle that all teachers have been exposed to COVID-19 with no vaccine. They weren't given a vaccine. And we know how germ-ridden every single child on earth is. So it's like, why, why are they not given the vaccine first? That, uh, yeah, because they've all probably had it, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> probably they were, but the other thing is they just were li- they were forgotten off the list they they were just lumped in with the entire uh, world and it, it was just they were forgotten they, they and it seems like they continue to be forgotten um yeah and you're right it is a point like they just they've been forgotten they are one of the forgotten yeah there's a lot of forgotten people in this bloody uh thing pandemic but teachers are integral to keeping stuff going, right? We, we've yeah. seen that because they were the first thing to go back onto the tiny little bit less lockdown list. Um, and I think for me, when I was a teacher, I was a really good teacher. I cared about the kids and, I, and, and that's a problem in a way because if you care, you put in a lot of effort and then I, my body was disintegrating from stress. So I used to come home and have to have a nap after school and then get up and do more work until the light like the wee hours of the night and I'd have nosebleeds and I remember having to like stuff like um tissue up my nose as I'm handing out the books before they come into the room to make sure I got everything on time and I was like I can't keep doing this to myself I was only 30 years old and I was like disintegrating and I think also the bit is I just couldn't believe I wasn't respected enough as well even though I'd had a degree had a qualification and then had to be qualified as a teacher like that's five years worth of qualifications in order to be a teacher and yet you know you're not treated like with respect for that and the system itself expects you to perform actual miracles on a daily basis it's insane hmm Hmm. it doesn't seem to get any better by the um yeah hmm um you also haven't just sorry uh i have a carpenter in uh it's a good thing i know how to pull all the silences out of this isn't it <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyway. I was like, why does he keep looking behind him? Oh, yeah, no, it's um, he's building a cupboard. He's supposed to be here for like two days, and now he's here for like two weeks. I don't know. Anyway, um, he's doing an incredible job. Like it looks incredible, but I think we were just expecting something to be chucked up, to be honest. Um, but it's it looks great. Anyway, why are we here? Uh, stories. Yes. We've told each other a million and one stories. Like we both lived in Japan for a while. You told me yeah. stories about that. Um, Italy, Venice, was it Venice? I've lived in Venice. Yeah. So I'm hoping some of these things come out in some of your stories. I've given you the usual prompt. Yeah, no, no, they won't now, will they? Now I've said it. There's got fuck all to do with it. Part of my French. Um, <laughs> uh, I've given you the normal prompts. Um, where do you want to start? Did you pick all of them or did you do some of them or what did you well, do? I thought I had to do all of them. So I've just done notes for all of them. Oh, great. Brilliant. We'll be here all day then. <laughs> <laughs> no, we won't. We'll just drop out the bits you want. No, no, no. Yeah, I'm kidding. No, it's cool. No, that's really great that you've done uh, that. I appreciate that. So should we start with Monday? Um, Let's start with Monday. So Monday, 
yeah, go on, you you do it. <laughs> I don't need to do it. <laughs> uh, God, anyone would think you were my boss once upon a time. <laughs> uh yeah so monday uh monday uh it's the it's the weekend story like you've done something's happened over the weekend it's mad the example i've always used is uh one that i actually told you on a monday morning which is my um my father-in-law nearly chopping his arm off uh that was a funny story to walk back in on a monday but uh enjoyable because you know involved ambulance rides rides and stuff um yeah Anyway, so... You'd be great at the one-armed bandit. It, hardy, 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 hardy. Uh, no, he did keep his arm. He's like, he didn't... No, I know, I know. Just, yeah, I know, I know. You've heard <laughs> anyway. um, So what's your Monday morning story? Tell me. Yeah, so I was, I was sort of trying to think what was uh, a good example of this. And I think um, a great story that I have is when I was a teacher, and like I said, I did care, so I would do things like conferences at the weekend <laughs> to learn more about education and uh, what, what we can do to make uh, learning better for children. Um, and it was at the Institute of Education, which is in Russell Square, which I consider to be like my spiritual academic home. So I always feel really happy around there. And I just kind of want a tweed jacket and like a pipe, not to smoke, but just to, and like glasses, just to look really academic and be like, oh yes, interesting. Uh, but anyway, I went to this conference and there was a talk there by this woman who um, was, I think either the head teacher or something like that of Wimbledon School for Girls, which is the one of the best schools in the country for girls, private schools. And they were talking about um, this initiative that they had done called Failure Week at the school. And it was about how girls actually don't take as many, like it's to help girls to understand that you need to fail in order to learn and, and to uh, proceed. Because what they'd done is they'd realized that, especially in the teenage years, girls sort of fixate on this idea of perfection. I think it's linked to the, the change in like hormones and bodies and, and going through, um, you know that, that that growth spurt and also then developing uh, psychologically differently in and everything just being quite overwhelming and I remember sort of flashbacks to my own 14 year old self who was like what's going on and I remember it was quite a tough time so those kind of combinations mean that girls then tend to, towards perfectionism and not want to fail and 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 learn from those things and so I, t I contacted them. So I came in on Monday to a school and I taught in Elephant and Castle, um, you know, in a, in a state school. And I was like, well, if it's good enough for that school, it's good enough for my girls. So I, I contacted them because that's what I'm like. So I contacted Wimbledon School for Girls and I was like, can you tell me what you did? Can you share your resources? I'd love to chat with you. So I spoke to them, they shared what they'd done. And then I started to think, how could I put it together? for my school. And at the time I was the um, work related learning coordinator. So it's like a leadership position where you do work stuff. So I didn't organize um, work experience, but it was kind of to bring more work experience things into school. So I packaged it in that and I reframed it as risk week, risk week. So the students were encouraged to take risks, go outside their comfort zones, I would get people in from outside to speak about like stockbroking, app development, like broader than just your teacher, doctor, engineer that all the kids knew about. Um, and it was great. Like we, I got the, I got the sign off from the head teacher and I planned it and built it all up. I used some of the um, inspiration from the failure week from Wimbledon School for Girls. I've used other inspiration from like hackathons and tech stuff that I'd gone to at the weekend. Um, and it was a wonderful thing for the students. And one student actually won an app building competition. One student who had learning uh, difficulties sang in front of the whole school and said to them, oh, I did this because I want to show you, you can achieve something no matter what your academic grades are. And we were all crying. It was like a, you know, like a, a, an American movie moment. And then another girl was elected to the UK Youth Parliament and she said, Miss, I wouldn't have done it, except you said take a risk. And so I asked everyone to vote for me and I got in and so she was the representative for Southwark for the UK Youth Parliament. So they do that now at the school every year. Um, so it's a bit of a legacy too. So just that one sort of thing 
can then spark off all these other things and sort of really make a huge difference to a lot of people. That's what that's what you know makes me super happy when I've done something like that. We have, um, yeah. I mean, that's that's incredible. Uh, that that idea, that risk taking thing, it comes natural to people who have a very very stable childhood, right? Like it's very very stable. You can f- screw up. I have to remember that I've put on this. It's not X-rated, like so. <laughs> I can't speak how I normally speak. No, uh, I don't think it. It's not X. Anyway, um, but the 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 point is that like people with very very stable backgrounds, they take risks. It's just a normal thing, right? You screw up, it don't matter because you go home, you have your dinner, you go to bed. Um, whereas kids, maybe in Elephant Castle, maybe this is a generalization damn it um but uh the uh it would have been similar to my childhood i imagine um and it's something i've talked to my kids about that you you can't take a risk because if you screw something up you get clapped around the ear roll and things like that you know it's not if you get if you screw something up um it's not easy and that follows you man that follows you forever and we wonder about, you know, people who talk about privilege and and, and that idea of uh, that. That's a big thing. Right. And and boys yeah. and girls difference in, in that is massive as well. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, absolutely. Like I looked at it with a gender lens because that's what I was interested in. And I was teaching in an all girls school. But one thousand percent, there will also be uh, race and class. Right. So. You know, we've both worked in the tech sector and it's not like it's not that far like to do some like literally some straw poll and actually see, oh, hang on, wait a second. All these tech founders, they had a bunch of cash already in the bank to be able to do this or to have the right connections to be able to then get the right angel investment, etc. Um, it's very, very few. I think it's something extraordinarily small, like two percent of all venture capital funds go to women. And then if you put it even lower than that, like the people who are from any ethnic background whatsoever, it's even smaller. So yeah, it's a, it's a, it's interesting how, oh, risk-taking is totally and utterly encouraged in those who it's mm. less of a problem if it all goes wrong. Um, yeah, it's an interesting conundrum. I think there's also definitely a lot to be said about stable homes and you know that's not something as a teacher you can do anything about um but there is a lot of research that shows you know about how to encourage sort of like strategic risk taking so not not going from here to here just going like a little step um and I remember there was this really adorable uh, year seven student <laughs> And I was doing like a tiny assembly, you know, where you just have one of the class with you. And I was like, oh, does anyone want to like, you know, like take a risk? And she put up her hand. She just came up to the front. I was like, what are you going to do? And she was just like, oh, I'll take over assembly now, miss. And I was like, okay, off you go. No problem. No problem. But I think one of the things I loved was I got the teachers involved as well. So I got the teachers to talk about their lives before they became teachers to, again, widen the horizons for the students to know that their art teacher used to be a graphic designer their maths teacher works in the government like in my case so I think like that was good for them to see teachers don't always be teachers and they did other things and then I also got the students to create their own like clubs and all they had to do was find a teacher to say yes but they had to organize it because I think sometimes it's just permission that you're looking for Um, to just start something Um, and for a lot of people who potentially come from um, you know this from a degree where they have a high level of self-efficacy you can go into that word as much as you want but often it's it's a case of then people being allowed to um, try new things and get given permission because sometimes they feel like they need it basically you're saying that the whole world is run by narcissists no no that's not what i'm saying that's not what i'm saying no, I'm i just kidding. think that there's interesting societal and systemic mechanisms 
um, that make it harder for other people to be empowered. Uh, you know, I mean, often people say, oh, you know, International Women's Day, we want to empower women. And I've often thought I'm pretty powerful as a woman. I'm, I mean, you know me and it's, it's uh, you've met me, you know what, what it's about, but that's never been my problem. The systemic abuse that I've faced, that's been the problem. And even when I've raised it as an issue, it has not been dealt with effectively. Yeah. But I need more empowerment on International Women's Day. No, I don't. I need people to sort the systems out and make them actually work. Yeah, there's there's a million and one reasons why things don't change very quickly. Um, I guess the, the 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 key one is it's um, the same people are still there. <laughs> Where else are they going to go in a yeah. ways? Right, they're not going to go down and work at the cafe. So. <laughs> I did. I did see recently, though, that the the average life of a CEO has gone has fallen from. Uh, I think it was like they bundled in CEOs um, and managing directors. Um, why they didn't include the wider board, I'm not sure. But um, it was uh, it's moved from the average tenure being five to six years um, down to eighteen months. And that, yeah, that was, I thought was really interesting. Um, I'll try and find it and put it in the notes, but um, I thought that was really interesting because then that effectively, you effectively got till your next set of um, financials comes out yeah. to make an impact. So everything that you're going to do is going to be about making a financial impact now. So mm -hmm. planning anything for the future in enacting any long-term change is probably going to be difficult, if not impossible, because you ain't going to do it. No, so, not on there because then the risk and reward structure in your own mind is based on what can I prove right now? Mm. It's not long-termism. It's kind of very similar with um, politics. You know, they never want to invest in the um, policy that might affect change in 10 years because they might not be in and they don't want the other colour to get the, you know, the, the success. Yeah, exactly. Um, and there, there is definitely the short-term determinism that is causing a lot of problems at the moment because growth shouldn't be growth at any cost. Mm. Um, but especially with the pandemic, it's a weird one because I think more people are more obsessed in 2021 to get growth because they couldn't get it as, as much as they could in 2020. So now they're actually over-obsessed with it this year and it's like, we're still in a pandemic. <laughs> yeah, and... Um... It, it's interesting to see uh, how that plays out because it's it's not just in our industry, but it's um, yes, global thing across everything. Um, that went way off. Like I love this. Like it just it never conversation escalation. You can't stop it. Um, I don't know if that's uh. The last time I did one of these, I counted how many errs I did. And I think I did more errs than I did words, which is quite scary. Uh, again, uh, anyway, Tuesdays. So that was sort of a worky one. Have you got, this is Tuesdays is, because nothing happens on a Tuesday, let's be honest, right? Fuck what happens. I don't know. No, I, no I, nothing happens I on a Tuesday. Tuesdays uh, were our hardest days. Yeah like work wise yeah. yeah but what i meant is nothing else happens like you're working you're working solidly like it is manically you know mm -hmm. work 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 basically on tuesday um so i i probably should have sent you the link when we um when i did my ones of these so examples um my tuesday one was that thing that we did together which was the australian all-nighter <laughs> thing uh, and i talked about that and about having a laugh no you haven't oh, that's brilliant this is good it'd be great to see it to, to hear it from the other end all right so you go on you tell no, exactly that's what i put down because it was just i think so to give the context to the listener it we won a contract with a massive company in australia and we did it uh like with kind of no interference from anyone in in the work and we 
we basically worked with the client, we presented to them, we presented the product um, to the different stakeholders. There was about two, um, two presentations to do before we got to the final presentation and then they, they made their final decision. But I think the reason I was so proud of that is because we did work hard on it, but not, you know, not labored. We didn't ever, I never felt with that particular pitch and with that um, client that we were like absolutely flogging a dead horse. Like sometimes I felt we overprepared, but with that one, I felt like it was fun the whole way through. We knew exactly what they wanted. We worked really well with the client to understand their needs. Um, and there were like little things along the way that we enjoyed that we hoped they enjoyed, which I think they did enjoy, which was sprinkling in like Australian um, celebrities on the platform, on this learning platform. So you had, um, what's the guy's name? The Crocodile Dundee. Yeah, so I couldn't remember his name either. Uh, uh, but the other one was Chris Hemsworth. And I think we were asked, after we put those two in, we were asked to put in Kylie and everything. So Yeah, so it was uh, just really good fun. It was just like sprinklings of of um, joy. And we also found that the, like the senior strategic sort of stakeholder, she had just released some videos about leadership development. And as I mentioned uh, at the beginning, I'm well into that. So we pinched those videos and put them on to show her that this is what you could do in the final session. So um, she loved that and could obviously understand my point of view. And it was just really fun. We, we were up all night. Uh, it felt like we'd flown to Sydney and back by the time we'd finished, um, but we won. And, and I loved it because we had very, very little uh, interference from anyone else in the business. So when that happens, Sometimes it can be quite scary because you're like, uh-oh, but it worked and we all had fun. So it made me feel like it was genuinely an accomplishment from us and our, like, working together. It, it set out the format for the rest of the year, really, didn't it? If you think about like, how we then took that and ran with it, um, you, you soon realised you were unprepared or that we hadn't got quite enough when you spoke, when you got to a presentation with a client and and you didn't get that same feeling. Mm. Um, and as you said, there were other clients we had loads of time with um, and still bought the product, but it, it, it maybe not didn't ever feel like we quite got to the absolute button um, and pushed it. Um, and I think, yeah, it really was a, an in, uh, incredible bit of work. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's also like, doing presentations remotely and I've got experience of doing presentations but to do it remotely for that kind of level of contract was new to me and yeah the moment when she looked up to the right because when someone's thinking like about how to um, when they're thinking abstractly someone always looks up to the right they'll be like that they're imagining something that not it's not there when she did that I knew we'd got her because then I knew that she was thinking about how to use the product in what she has. And I was just like, yes, <laughs> it's very satisfying. Whereas in the room, you can usually feel the vibe, but to actually see the behavior change was really cool. Um, and, and you're right. I think what I learned from that experience as well was always, always, always review what you've done, reflect on it and learn. I think we had so, such phenomenal success last year because after pretty much every single session, every like presentation, we would review what worked well, what didn't, what can we do better? And so it accelerated our growth rather than waiting for what, an appraisal at the end of 12 months, we would have been like, what? <laughs> it was really interesting that we like, that was, you know, doing stuff at all hours or whatever, you completely forget what you've done. Like there's no two ways, it, had we not written it down, had we not, you know, taking that moment after each one um and the following day to actually go yeah we did this bit right we did that bit we could have improved on so and so and so and so we would have never could never got it even if we had made it a month like we would no. have never remembered no. no the reason i do that is because here we go full circle is because of teaching it's basically drummed into you after every single lesson reflect what went well what would you do better next time every single lesson because the more you do it the more flexible you become 
and the more sort of things you've got in your arsenal to help teach the kids. I remember once I did a lesson plan, <laughs> walking up the stairs to the classroom because I'd just been told all the tech was down and I was like, oh my God, what am I gonna do? Um, so I literally walked upstairs and I was like, I've got it. And so I had, um, I had some sweets in my, in my locker. So there was a packet of round trees, fruit gums, a, or was it fruit pastels, whatever, fruit pastels, um, a Toblerone and um, like something else. But it was a great way to show the students surface area. So we could, we could unwrap everything and I could be like, right, so this is surface area. So then I could give them pieces of paper. They could actually try and replicate it and then build it back up themselves. Um, the only thing is I didn't have like millions of them because they were like, I want a packet. And I was like, you can look at this packet because it's going on right now. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> what, is, what is that um oh there's that uh that that sort of psychology test where they go here's uh, the, 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 yeah. the 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 test later you know the oh, what is it um delayed gratification test yeah yeah anyway that's funny that's funny that we both put that down it is it it, it really does did make an impact on me and it's interesting it made an, uh, such an impact on you as well and those moments of joy that was something that i still try and do um uh uh and with everything like i find that that um not only did it have an impact on them it had an impact on me thinking about them uh because why not right like, why not may introduce something that makes you smile um even with the most grumpy of corporate if you can get them to smile you you probably got a better chance of working with them like, yeah 100%. And I mean, you know, as business evolves and, you know, contracts are harder to come by, I think it is going to be much more important to have those moments of connection and joy, like you say, because that's what will make the difference. Because ultimately, there'll be loads of people who can do what you do. It's about having that connection and building that trust with that client. Yeah, funny. It's sort of gone full circle, right? Like, so technology was almost supposed to supposed to democratize who you work with, like the ability to reach everyone and understand everyone that does that one thing, and then be able to through some RFP process, uh, you know, define who is actually going to be the best to do it for you. It's sort of gone full circle because now we're still doing all of that nonsense. We're still comparing apples to pears and then I don't like get... pears. Eh? I don't like pears. No, me neither. I think yeah. pears are disappointing as a fruit. <laughs> I've never ever thought, oh I want a pear. I've never. I had one when I was a kid and I was like, well, this is the taste of disappointment. It's the fur and all of that. It's yeah. <laughs> what I was built what I was built <laughs> fuck me. <laughs> Uh, welcome to the Adam and Alona show. <laughs> yeah, <thank you. laughs> yeah. No, what I was building to was the idea that like we've gone full circle, right? We've tried to democratize everything. We realize that we're just not comparing anything to, we're not comparing the same things to the same thing. So you've got to enjoy the, you spend most of your time at work. So why not enjoy it with it? Um, it no, it's not, you know, people around the table having dinner and shaking hands and that's where you get your contract. But it is, people enjoying their company and think thinking actually if i'm going to implement something i'm going to buy something i'm going to spend another 50 60 hours with this person probably want to enjoy it yeah, yeah. yeah. um so, yeah that's funny wednesday hobbies i think i know what's coming tell me about your hobbies alona what do you think it is actually I, why did i say that i don't think i do know what's coming <laughs> Yeah, because I was like, what do you know that I do? <laughs> uh, when they're, no, they weren't running. Was that, was that a thing? Running was that? I wasn't, run, but yeah. I wouldn't say that's my hobby. It's not the one I've written down. No. Mm. Aerial acrobatics. Never done that in my life. <laughs> so I, I had a problem as a kid doing cartwheels. I can't do a cartwheel. I've tried. 
I went to like a, um, I think about five years ago, my friend who used to be a cheerleader took me to like Beckton where they have oh, like yeah. a spongy, bouncy trampoline floor. We tried desperately to get me to do a cartwheel. It wasn't happening. I don't know what, what it is. I just can't do one. So my big two, one of them, the middle one is incredibly like agile and does all of that sort of thing. And then the other one, <laughs> and then the other one doesn't like she is just doesn't really move uh, much. Love her to bits, but she doesn't really move. Um, and she decided that she was going to try handstand uh, with the, the middle one and middle one straight up. Legs are up into the air, starts walking around on her hands. Big one on her face. Uh, it was, I tried not to laugh. I didn't achieve that. Um, I laughed really. I'd like to see you try a handstand, sir. So I have a story about Kiefer Sutherland uh, telling uh, me and a colleague to do handstands. Uh, I refused. My colleague is six foot seven Australian chap built like a rugby player uh said i'll do it for like 100 quid or something and Kiefer sutherland pulled his wallet out and literally chucked money at the bloke he walked out of the room as if he was offended he comes back into the room on his hands on his hands walking into the room he was massive i can't paint a picture of this he was dave he was an aussie and he is exactly how you would imagine him um yeah rugby player it was one of the best sights I've ever seen. The guy just fell over. Kiefer Sutherland actually gave me one piece of advice. He was like, tell anyone uh, who wants to lose weight just not to drink water. I'm not saying that to do this. I'm saying Kiefer Sutherland told me this. Uh, I don't know if this was because I was really fat, but um, uh, that was his advice. He went, you ever want to look good? Just don't drink water. Oh, Okay. Interesting. Anyway, probably cut that out. Uh, where, so what is the hobby? My the hobby. Hobby, hobby, hobby. Yeah, so I have actually um, got a new hobby. Oh. Um, and it has uh, emerged over my uh, time off in between my jobs. And it's um, essentially writing, but it's specifically doing a couple of things. So there's a practice called the morning pages. So it's when you wake up and you just free write just consciousness there's no like rhyme or reason to it you're just literally writing stuff out for three pages and what I found with that is it's really helpful one to just get me going like creatively in the morning two to actually just discharge stuff I'm worrying about or stuff that's kind of niggling in my brain like I'm waking up with it and I'm like I don't really want to think about you anymore um, and then also to start to see patterns, like if I keep repeating myself, go, right, well, is this, is this important or can we park this or whatever? The other bit is um, around uh, journaling to then help me think about my future self. So um, I've been writing like letters to myself or letters about who that future self might think, feel and behave uh, to get me ready for my new job. And then it also helps me with my goals. And I did some research into this. and I'm actually going to write an article about it, which is just like meta. Um, but uh, if you write down your goals, you're like a significant proportion more likely to do them. Just writing them down. The difference between not writing them down and writing them down. And it's quite a significant, like at least 60% or something around that, that mark. And then there's also the fact that you have this thing in your brain called the reticular activating system which is your brain's filtering system so if you use an affirmation or uh, and an affirmation for anyone who doesn't know on this uh, podcast it's just a statement about yourself that begins i am so i am uh, a writer right so my recent affirmation is i am a writer and i write every day and i write for creativity that sort of thing if you actually write that down, the reticular activating system, your brain's filtering system, will then pick up on things that are aligned to that affirmation. So a, an example of when the reticular activating system is working, and it always is working, by the way, is your mates just bought a new Ford Escort, red, right? 
And then you start to see red Ford Escorts everywhere after you have a conversation with them about their new car. That is the reticular activating system at work. This is really important because uh, it can work for you positively and negatively. So after the Sarah Everard thing a couple of weeks ago, I actually turned off all laptops, all my devices, and I didn't consume any more media because it was overwhelming me, like the actual incident itself and then all the rhetoric around it on social media. And I needed to just almost unplug because it was it was getting me too upset and scared, genuinely frightened for just being in, in London and, and being a woman in, in 2021. So I decompressed and did all of that and sort of just started to play around and did some painting and things like that that weekend. But I think it's really interesting when you start to play around with journaling and realizing how influential the, the, this filter can be, both positive and negatively, um, it's quite fascinating. It is quite fascinating. So a bit of neuroscience in there, you're welcome to pop a link in about it because it's, it's quite powerful. And what's crazy is the things I'm writing down are happening in my life. So whether it's just I'm more aware of them, which is probably the case, right? I just, I, it's bananas. And sometimes I can't quite, I, I'm sometimes a bit like in disbelief, but it's working, I'm going for it. I'm just gonna roll with it. <laughs> Is this the atomic habits thing? Because I seem to remember that being part of that, the, the writing down, I am this, I am that. And I, I, I tried to do it to reset my, who I am, you know, very, maybe very similar to what you uh, are doing now. Not your carpenter, but he no, is a carpenter. Doing all stuff. Um, he's lovely. His name's Keith. Um, you don't meet many people my age called Keith, but uh, yeah. Anyway, um, our age. Our age. Remember, um, I look good for our age. <laughs> but you've had three kids at our age, so there we go. Yeah, and I worked at Fuse for two and a half years. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> actually i have my wife calls it my fuse line which is like when i frown it's a line between my eyebrows for obviously the people that can't see my face well for all your listeners out there you can use a gua sha moving on um, <laughs> yeah that atomic habits book he talks about writing these things down like you are and you're writing it in in the first person like if, rather than writing a list of what you've got to do tomorrow uh go for a walk write down your goals so that like, i'm someone who goes for walks in the morning i am someone who writes down their goals and it, i i did it like literally briefly and i realized that the following weeks and months you're right i've walked almost religiously like it was partly down to uh childcare not being there obviously covid and all that but also partly down to um it being front of mind it's interesting yeah. i hadn't really thought about it since i did it but maybe it's maybe it's true well it, the thing is it is true i think it's because it feels so magical when it's happening to you that you're a bit like what but it, it is like factually true that there is a filtering system um, in your brain, the subconscious amazingly records everything that ever happens to you, records everything. And so when you're doing any affirmation or you're doing some journaling or you're just sort of bringing to mind, say like, you know, everything in your life <clears throat> related to a particular thing like work or something, it's then giving you all the information that you might need back to you um, and also bringing to your awareness uh, what what is important because I think it was something extraordinary like there's 200,000 bits of data per second that comes at you through your brain so you have to have a filtering system or you would just explode I think um, it's like if you go for that walk one of the things that you could try is like your intention is to um, maybe like feel feel the wind or like see the the colors do you know what i mean like you could play around with it or you could say 
I'm going to look for the people when I'm on my walk. I'm going to look at the people or I'm going to look at the scenery or I'm going to look at the cars. And you'll notice that you'll, you'll bring that more to your forefront of your attention on your walk. People smell. I don't want to look at people. <laughs> you don't smell through your eyes. <laughs> like, I think you've got your senses mixed up. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah, maybe. anesthesia. <laughs> maybe. Um, yeah. But anyway, I have found it's amazing. And the thing I wanted to mention on here, and I'll send you the link, is I've been doing this thing called Writer's Hour. So I worked with a lady with all this writing stuff and she's wonderful. And she introduced me to Writer's Hour, which is um, online and it's four times a day. I don't do it four times a day, by the way. It's just because of the different time zones around the world. But um, it's an hour on Zoom. You go on there and you put yourself on mute, but you keep your camera on, but you write. And so you're writing in the company of others. So you feel like you're connected, but obviously you're writing on your own stuff. And I, I was a bit like, why would you do that? But when I do it, I feel great. I feel like I've achieved something. I feel accountable because I know what I'm like. I'm like, oh yeah, maybe. But because you're there, you're switched on, you're connected to these people like, well, I should just get on with it, shouldn't I? And it's all free. Um, and it's really been a great, um, thing over the past few weeks for me to get into and so it's a dedicated bit of time for me to just do my writing sounds it sounds um now this is the one like we've have we ever i don't think we've ever actually had yeah we've had one after work drink i think i think we've probably had one like i was trying to think because i didn't really go for drinks at fuse i don't remember ever drinking with you yeah We've gone for a burger, which is way more fun. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I suppose we did do a couple after of... Burger, after work burger, that's much better. <laughs> um, tell me, what's the after work drink story? And I'm hoping that this has got some dirt in it because, like, you know, uh, yeah, it's something that I don't know uh, would be, you know, some gory detail. No, I'm kidding. There's no, there's no gory details coming out of me because this is before the watershed and I'm not going to record stuff like that. Um, but I did have a good story that I don't think you know, uh, which is about me and university. I've got eyebrows. I don't know if you, anyway, I'm going to yeah, go. go for it. Go for it. Go for it. So... <clears throat> uh it's a good story because it kind of it really set the tone at quite a young age right for I think who I am <laughs> and just like things that I do so I wanted to go to Warwick University I wanted to go to that one because it was the best one that I could get into and um it also allowed me to go to Venice without having had to do a, a language A level because my school didn't offer that sort of thing so that was the one absolutely the one I wanted to get waiting 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 no response nothing and then one day the response comes back on the little like UCAS uh, portal you have not been accepted and I was devastated miserable unconsolable I was just no fun at all to be around so I went to my um physiotherapists at the time because I have a, a slight curve in my spine it's called scoliosis so I was going to see her and uh you know I'm 17 at the time and everything's a massive massive drama massive drama so I go to see my physiotherapist and she's like well you don't seem yourself today and I was just like I didn't get into my uni and um anyway she said to me um why don't you phone them and ask you know like why or you know why don't you ask for deferred entry and I was like can you do that sort of thing she was like yeah you know just ask you you might as well find out and know okay so <clears throat> I went into the school and I marched into the head of sixth forms office um he was fairly new so he didn't know me which is <laughs> I think he knew me afterwards um and I was like we are phoning Warwick University now <laughs> like I remember I mean you can imagine uh 17 I had less <laughs> less restraint and we phoned them but he wouldn't let me on the phone he was like no I'll call them I'm the head of sixth form I should call them but I was standing right there next to him 
he was like, you know, I've got this student, she's really good. She applied, you know, she hadn't got in, what, what's happened here? And they, you know, told him that there were like 10 good students to every one place. It's very uh, popular course. If I wanted to apply again in uh, next year, once I have my grades, I could do that. And I said, tell them I'll take the third entry. And he said, oh, she'll take the third entry. And they said, no, 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 you know, we've made our decisions. Sorry, try again another time. Anyway, a couple of weeks later, I'm at home and I got a letter from UCAS. And the letter is from Warwick University saying they've given me deferred entry. And I'm like looking at it being like, someone's pulling a fast one or like something. And, and so I, I basically just signed it, sent it and was like, okay, I'm just gonna hope and pray on this one. I didn't even tell my parents. I didn't tell anyone. I was just like, I think they've made a mistake. I'm just going to totally go with this and I'm going to send it back. And so then I did get the grades and I did get into Warwick and it all worked out. But obviously someone somewhere had a conversation like beyond me that switched, that flicked that switch. And so I did go to Warwick and, and I had a wonderful time. And the same thing has happened last week. So what this taught me, this situation is always, 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 always ask. You can only have a, a no and you might get a no, but then something happens afterwards because you've planted the seed in someone's head. So the same thing has happened recently and I didn't even have an intention about it. But basically the short version of that story is I got an offer on my flat, which I've accepted. <laughs> yeah. Yay um but because yeah uh Adam knows but it's been an awfully long process this whole flat business so um the short version is I told the estate agent I couldn't take anything less than x uh just because of everything that I've got to go through to get rid of the flat he didn't say anything I didn't tell him to tell them and then suddenly they said that they could so it's all like been sorted out so absolutely like it's a great pub story for me and I use it, I used it a lot with my students because I was like, just ask. The worst that you can do is not ask because you never know what could happen. If I hadn't have said that to the estate agent, like I, I didn't even think about it until I was sort of reflecting on um, these questions for the podcast. But if I hadn't have said that to the estate agent, I wouldn't have got the offer I wanted. So you absolutely have to say the thing that you want, regardless of the outcome. Mm. Um, and then sometimes magic might happen and <laughs> it's beyond your control but at least you tried yeah and that's that's what it comes down to and it trying and risks and, and all that isn't it funny how oh, these sort of comes full circle hmm. what's something that you've asked for that kind of happened like a bit later but it was kind of a bit magical but you wouldn't have got it if you hadn't have asked hmm um I, I've got plenty of jobs from like, well, I say plenty of jobs. So I made a weird transition into what I do now, right? Like it's it, I, going back years, the Kiefer Sutherland story comes from my days of working in hotels, right? I went from working in fancy hotels in central London to run, well, to working in a fancy hotel in the middle of fucking nowhere, Essex, Suffolk border. Um, went from there to working in, a, uh, a, a a building in in central London, but uh, for the Institute of Directors, and that was where the transition went because I asked if I could join the sales team, mm -hmm. and the sales team there were up their own ass. There's no two ways about it, right? They were real, and I'm quite happy to say this. PC version, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I suppose it is, but yeah, yeah, PC version. Um, but they they are they were at the time they were so hoity-toity and i wasn't like that that's as you can hear um that's what it came down to they were all very posh they were all thought that they were incredible because they spoke to directors on a daily basis uh, and i'm happy to say this because one none of them work there anymore and neither do i um and it was very much a status thing they were like no we can't have that ruffian from you know hospitality working with us um but there was a chap in, uh, well, but the HR person that I spoke to and was like, look, I'd like to work in there. I think I could be really good at it. She, it's a lovely, lovely, lovely human being, turned around and went, well, you know, 
they don't seem to want you but there's this other part of the business they do training it's sales it's not you know um it's not the same but it might be better uh, it might even be better go and speak to this chap um pete who i still in touch with today he's a lovely lovely chap as well he interviewed me and uh i think he didn't know what he was getting himself into because i don't think he had uh, managed anyone before uh, let alone me and as you know that's not easy uh and he um and i got the job he gave me a job and i did pretty well i did did the numbers and more um and uh got pretty good at it um and and when i left i left with a different career like a sales career effectively and seat saw me through to selling leadership training then selling content and so on and so on but that was a key moment right like moved from hospitality to sales and into training and into to talking about leadership and stuff um and it was a key moment uh and i don't think i'd have ever done it had i not i just did a hail mary and gone eh, yeah i can do that and <laughs> um and I, I i think there's a there's a few other examples like we've got uh, a lovely 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 house and we have this lovely lovely office in the garden um and these are two things that were literally i'm not going to say i was forced into because that's the wrong way about it but my wife is is less risk adverse than i am um or maybe she, it's not that she's less risk averse that she's maybe calculates things a bit quicker than i do and I took some convincing to, to get the house. And so she ignored me and did it anyway. And that was a brilliant thing because I think I would have like, I would have worried and worried and worried about mortgage payments and so on and so forth. But, um, and then this thing, like I could not have pictured it. Uh, and for, as you guys can't see it, uh, it's, it's a, a lovely, lovely office and it's all my space effectively. Um, and I would have never said that. And those are things that, yeah risks that i've taken and i would have never wanted to pay for it because it was so much money oh it's scary but um bit by bit we paid for it and 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 it was okay and i think that i would have never taken those risks or i guess there's something to do with risk and um spending on yourself and believing in yourself and what you deserve mm. you don't take the risk unless you think you deserve it and maybe that comes back to the privilege piece that we we're talking about earlier and, and, and sort of it's front of mind for me a lot lately because I see the, the, the level of privilege my kids have and, um, uh, and, and how they use it uh, or not um, um, uh, to, and, and how I can encourage them to, to take those risks. Um, and yeah, and so, so uh, it, I think it's, uh, it is very, very intertwined. Something that helps me a lot at the moment is recognizing and acknowledging that change is hard always so even though i'm super happy i've had an offer and i've accepted i have oscillated with like no maybe i should stay i should stay. i know everything i know like the area i've got my kitchen the way i want it all this sort of stuff and you know how much i've wanted to move but it's it's a thing in your brain called homeostasis your brain wants to conserve energy so it doesn't want to do new things it doesn't want to change things because that requires more energy so it will try to sabotage you and that's kind of where the journaling has helped me because it's like what do you really want do you want to stay here no not really so there we go right so it's kind of trying to help yourself really get to the crystalline bit of what's true for you rather than reacting to loads of things that are happening but homeostasis is a legit thing. We will always try to keep ourselves at a certain limit because we know that limit and we know that that's safe. Hmm. Um, I think we're the first person, you're the first person to get to Friday. So, okay. which is good. I think, as you know, one person did pick Friday, but I think they picked like they skipped Wednesday, Tuesday, and Thursday. So um, I can't remember who that was. But uh, so Friday is family, like so. I guess in some sense, these 
scenarios they reflect my own life I guess um and and Friday was always the day that work definitely got left behind and still does to some extent I try and leave it in this building and uh I don't come back in on a Saturday and Sunday um so tell me about a story about your family I guess yeah well I think first of all my mum and dad they were both teachers they're retired now but they're both teachers and I like to think of myself as a super teacher. So I'm like the next iteration of what happens when two teachers produce another teacher in a digital context. Cause you know, I'm fascinated by learning technology and then how that all interplays with each other. So that was really important. And I had a lot of conversations with them growing up about education and what I disagreed with them about, but they helped me to be the person that I am, right? So discussion was encouraged, always learning, obviously, like if I ever wanted a book, that wasn't really a question. It was just more, I couldn't have a saxophone, you know, <laughs> I could have a book, that's so fine. Um, and so what I also love about it is they're from different um, disciplines. So my mom is a teacher of the deaf. So that helped me to understand that there were different abilities in the world um, and it also I think helped me to think in a more inclusive way because I would sometimes go to mum after school and then stay with her for a couple of hours while she did like late, late nights later night stuff like from four till six and I would play with the kids in in the school that she was in and it never sort of like you're a kid you don't really think about it but you know I'm there with loads of different ability of, of child but I was just like oh, I get to play while I'm waiting for mum and then dad is a teacher for primary school specializing in maths and PE um, and Joe my brother he is a patent attorney so what I realized is that we are a family of people of ideas because Joe kind of legalizes the ideas but he essentially looks at and understands an idea and a, and a patent I do ideas in a digital context because that's kind of my evolution and then mum and dad did their ideas too. But the, the great thing I think from a feminist perspective was my mum, she showed me that it's possible to love what you do. And she absolutely loved her job and always did until she retired. Um, and it helped me to then realize that you can have a job you love and you can enjoy what you do um, and you can do something valuable as well. What a lovely way to finish. <laughs> it's been a pleasure it's been so lovely um obviously we stopped working together a few months ago so moving from daily to to one monthly catch-ups or whatever you know it's it's been lovely to talk to you uh as always and yeah we'll finish it here